Coffee hour is one of my favorite times in the church following worship service where we're in fellowship together. Um, actually, it's the cookies that I prefer, but I don't do coffee, but uh, I'm addicted to cookies. And so there was a group that was gathered around. This is in Atlanta, Georgia. And it's a downtown church where they have a lot of homeless people, street people, those who are struggling just putting all of the parts of life together. And there in this coffee hour was Bart. And he sat down with two or three of the men of the church. And they were discussing just sort of what was attractive about their church. And one man was talking about how wonderful the educational program is. That they have a great variety of classes and something like 70% of the church participate in those classes and it was so stimulating to the mind. And another guy was talking about how wonderful worship is, how the choir is just exquisite. They sing like the angels of heaven. And another guy said that, uh, I like to come to this church because there's convenient parking next door in the downtown area and I can find a parking place. And then Bart, it was his turn and they all looked at him. Well, Bart, why do you come to this church? And Bart said, because the Lord Jesus Christ saved my soul through the nurture of this church. And so we all came for the parking. He came because his soul was saved through the nurture and the fellowship of the congregation. Jesus is saying, don't let the little children don't hinder them from coming to me. Jesus is saying that we need to all become as children as we come together in that playfulness and in that careful consciousness of being one with another. The psalm that Chuck read is talking about how we think upon the Lord and how wonderful it is that the love of God reigns in our lives. And that comes about because we pray for one another, because we support one another, that we fellowship and become friends and we care about one another. It's not just an empty, uh, surfacy kind of friendship. There is a deep and abiding connection when people do the four purposes of the church where you do education and where you worship together and where you do service together. And the glue that holds all of those relationships together is how you fellowship together. And that you nurture one another. That Judy would pull a carload of people together to go visit Hattie Layton because she's been ill and not able to come to church. That's nurture and care and fellowship. It's when someone goes to see Larry Warner as he is in the hospital and he's sort of isolated from all of us and the fellowship that he loves so dear. So they take fellowship to him. You see, it, we know what fellowship is in the church. We know what nurturing is because we generally do it well. 
And it is something that speaks to us. So out of nurture and education and worship and service, we really are good at doing nurture. We have a group called First Friends. They're actually like the stealth bomber. They're stealth greeters. You don't know who they are. But they're trying to welcome people into the congregation. And they do it without being obtrusive because if you thought there was a committee that was welcoming people, well then you all wouldn't welcome the others that you don't know. You'd say, oh, that's their job. And then you wouldn't reach out. And of course, there's a time when I, when I say stand up and greet somebody you don't know. How many of you met Alex this morning? First timer, Alex, we're glad you're here. Valerie brought her. You know, we, we just need to make people feel welcome. We don't put a name tag on them or put a crown on their head, but we just want them to know that they're welcome here. Esau is here today with James sitting with him. You see, we need to welcome people. We're nurturing James. We're, we're caring for Ken and Ann Burnett. We're praying for those who are fighting in other places in the world. We care about people. And we care about God. And that's the foundation from which the N-word and the good news comes into play. So today, I just want to tell you two stories of how the nurture of the church affected people's lives. You don't need a lot of theology about this, do you? We know what it is. Sometimes we don't do it well or sometimes we forget to do it. But just a couple of stories to illustrate how people perceive the church. A colleague of mine in ministry tells the story of a Christmas that was one of the most difficult parts of his life. It was deep in snow and cold temperatures. It was a time of economic downturn. It was one of those times like 1971 when there just weren't any jobs to be had or like we're experiencing today. And he was very aware that his family had little money, that there would be no Christmas presents under the tree this year. His father had just left and divorced his mother, and it was just the three of them, his sister and he, and then his mother. And she was struggling valiantly. And then one night, three days before Christmas, there was a knock on the door. And his mom opened the door. He and his sister had already been sent to bed. But with the knock on the door, you could just imagine they were on the stairwell pressing their face against the railing poles that are there, looking to see who was coming three days before Christmas because they knew that there are times when the church helps those families that maybe don't have quite enough resources to buy gifts. 
and that they would come and bring gifts. And so there they are with their eyes bugged out. Her mother, their mother opens the door and, and sure enough, it's two men from the church. She invites them in. My friend's heart is starting to beat more rapidly. And then he hears the words that they brought from the church. Well, Mary, since you're divorced now, we can no longer have you teaching Sunday school, and so we're going to have to ask you to stop. We appreciate what you've done in the past, but we're sorry. And then they left. And as the door closed, so did the door of his heart and his openness to God. That's the negative example. And yet, we as a church have treated people in just that way. But the positive example, it was little more than 10 years ago that Donna and I got the phone call that every parent dreads. I came home from a meeting Saturday afternoon. Donna is standing in the middle of the living room just bawling her eyes out. And she said that our son Dwayne had called that his sister who was visiting had fallen off of a cliff as she was hiking in the mountains up out of Flagstaff, Arizona. And that they had taken her into surgery and they didn't know if she would live or not. What do you do? Tears, hugs, phone calls of confirmation of what's going on. I'm supposed to preach on Sunday morning. I call people from the church they come in and, and the youth pastor says, don't worry about tomorrow's sermon and service. I'll take care of it. You get in the car and go. And so we went. We got in our car and we drove almost all night to Flagstaff, Arizona. We got into the emergency room where they had our daughter Tracy. And she was highly sedated. She had fallen from the top of this cliff, she was hurrying down off of the mountain because there was rain and thunder and lightning. She knew she had to get off of the hill. And she had jumped from one place to another, and as soon as she had let go, she knew, uh-oh, this isn't going to work. And she fell 40 feet straight down. She landed on her chin. And she tumbled and slid and rolled an additional 40 feet. And to add insult to injury, she landed in a bed of cactus. She was in a place where nobody could find her. She had gone off of trail and was cutting across country. And she was hidden behind a barricade of dense, forest, and boulders. She was bleeding with internal injuries. She had a broken jaw. Her liver was split in half. She was soaking wet and hypothermia was setting in. And she knew that she would die if she couldn't move. 
And so with all of the guts that she could muster, she climbed out of the cactus patch. And she began to work her way down the mountain. And as she worked her way down the mountain, the energy began to flow out of her body and she became weaker and weaker and weaker. She went as far as she could go. And then she had to stop. She began to kick a tree limb and holler for help, just praying that somebody would come and be there. That somebody would hear her cries. And this is where God comes in. I don't know if you believe in angels. But there was a young man way down below who heard her cries for help. And he came up through the thickets and the brush. And he came up and over the boulders and he found her. She had blood all over the front of her shirt and she was bleeding from the mouth. She was just crying and she was shivering and she was in deep pain, almost in shock. And he says, I'll go for help. And he left his coat and covered her and he went for help. And he ran to the nearest place he could come to, which was our son's church. Trinity United Methodist Church of Flagstaff, Arizona. And just as he arrived, our daughter-in-law came into the church looking for Tracy because she had been gone too long and they couldn't find her. And she has these three little kids. And she says, I need to find Tracy. And this girl who just happened to be there was their regular babysitter, a girl from the church, the community of faith. Just as she was trying to line that up, this young man came in and said, there's this young woman we found up on the hill and we have to get her out. And my daughter-in-law Sally said, well, what is she wearing? And described to a T. And she said, that's Tracy. That's my sister-in-law. And at the same time, Dwayne, our son, was walking, re-walking the trail she was supposed to be on, and he heard her calling for help up on the mountain. And he went up and he sat with her thinking, I'm watching my sister die when the paramedics showed up. And this is where the nurture and the fellowship of the church comes in. The babysitter was in place so that the kids could be taken care of. The church was the place that the young man went to use the telephone to call for help. And they did fly in a helicopter and they lowered a cable. They put her in a body bag and lifted her out of the forest and flew her back to the church where church people had begun to gather around. They began to make phone calls so that food would be available. And so Donna and I showed up and here was food already that was there because church people cared enough for Dwayne and Sally and their, the sister Tracy who had fallen. They 
brought a cleaning crew in. Women of the church came in because more and more of our family began to arrive. We were all focused on being with Tracy and praying for her. And so she is, uh, you know, the housekeeping isn't being taken care of. So the church people came in. I was down at the hospital and I walked around the corner and here was a colleague and a friend, uh, two ministers actually, from this area, from Utah. They said, we prayed for your daughter at the church and we knew that there was only one David Henry from Salt Lake City, Utah that would be here. And so we came to see if it was you. And they took me in their arms and they prayed for me. That is the fellowship of the church. Tracy was in between that time when she didn't have any insurance. She had left school, graduated from college. She was on her way to her first job as an outdoor education person in California. And she said, I can get along for one month without insurance. And she fell off the cliff. When we came home, we brought Tracy home a week and a half later. Her mouth was wired shut. She couldn't talk. And we very gently brought her home only to discover that our house, which had been torn up and we were painting, putting in new flooring and window coverings, and we thought we were bringing Tracy back to the biggest mess in the world, we discovered that the church people here had gone into our house. They had finished painting. They had cleaned everything up. It was ready just simply for the carpet to be laid out and for the window coverings to be put on. That's the nurture and the fellowship of the church. People were praying and people were putting hands and feet and people were bringing in meals. There was a slight problem of the bill. And I did everything I could to convince them that she wasn't a freeloader, but she would be a contributing member of society if they would give her, forgive the debt as much as they could. Or to cut it down to a reasonable amount. And every doctor allowed that. The church raised $11,000 to pay off her bill. She only had one bill that she had to pay on, and seven years later she finally paid it off. The church was there. Our lives were changed. Our souls were saved by the body of Christ. Because that in our time of need, the nurture and fellowship of the church embraced us and gave us hope. And so we don't go to a church because of the parking, but because the Lord Jesus Christ saved us and the body of Christ nurtured us in our hour of need. And just to finish the story, Tracy runs marathons. She scuba dives. She's a vibrant young mother. She is uh, an elder in her church. She's a pianist. And she's alive and well. Isn't God good? And aren't God's people great in their ability to nurture and love one another? I thank God that one of the primary purposes of the church 
is that we support one another in our times of need. I wonder, how are we going to support in these economically difficult times the people who are losing their jobs or having their salaries cut? How are we going to support one another as we experience people with depression? Because their life savings has diminished to almost nothing. These are tough questions and I don't have the answers. But you do. You in the balcony, you young people there. And those who are in the amen corner in the back. And the wise people are on the right and the left. We know that we have to find ways of nurturing others just as we have been nurtured. Ken Burnett wouldn't allow us to bring in meals because he felt squeamish about that when he was so sick a couple of weeks ago. And finally he relented because he understood that our giving nurture and fellowship and support is a main task of the church and it's our privilege and our faithful service that allows us to do that. Two stories about different ways the church can react. And my prayer is that First Baptist will be the kind of place where people can be held and nurtured and supported in the fellowship of Jesus Christ. And I want you to think of this image, that the church is like a bowl or a receptacle. Whereas people come into the church, they're unsure of what they believe, that we are a bowl that can hold the faith while they explore and examine and grow in their own faith. That you don't have to come to church with your faith already formed, but that you can come and be nurtured in this place because we, the church, are holding the faith here for you. And so this is a Sunday when I'm going to step out and to risk. I know that there are people here who have been attending for a while and have not yet given their life to Christ. That you're still tentative. That you're still wondering what can all of this mean in my life? And can I trust these people to support me? But there comes a time in our life when we have to say, yes, Lord, I trust and I will follow you. And so this is a day when perhaps someone is ready to make that statement, a statement of faith, to walk down the aisle and to say, Lord, I don't have it all, but I trust this congregation to support me as I walk the walk and as I learn and I grow. Perhaps you're somebody who has found that their faith has grown cool. You no longer have that passion or fervor and you want to rededicate yourself, your faith, and give it over and to trust that this congregation will nurture you and support you. And so as we sing our hymn, Trust and Obey, I would invite 
anyone who would like to commit or recommit themselves to the faith and to the love of Jesus Christ to come down and stand with me that we might pray together. Let us stand and sing. If you come down, there may be others who will come and stand with you. But let us recommit our life to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please stand. Oh Lord God, you fill us with life and you renew us every day. I thank you for those who have come to recommit their lives, to give of themselves to you, to stand by others, and to be a part of this nurturing, loving, and faithful community. I ask your blessing be upon each one, upon their journey of faith, that they would be honored, that they would be lifted up in their statement of commitment, their choice to serve, and their willingness to be your disciples.